Hello and welcome once again to Wrestling Memories Then and Now on Pioneer 90.1 FM KSRQ. We are beyond the FM dial at 90.1. We go beyond that. We're at RadioNorthland.org, so listeners right now and in the moment can stream this very program. You can also check out our archives on our SoundCloud page, too, that connects to the website, so you can listen to over seven and a half years of wrestling memories then and now. We're also available on TuneIn, so you can listen via your smartphone. Yes, yes, outsmart your smartphone by listening to wrestling memories by uh, downloading that free app. Hi, Glenn Brockett with you once again on a wrestling memory Sunday, and of course, I am joined once again by my tag team partner in crime. Uh, we've done some good stuff here uh, over the uh, past few weeks, and man, it's good to have you back two weeks in a row. I'm down deep in the heart of Texas. He's located in the mobile studio. Yes, he's suffering some uh, some heat down there. Uh, on, far from what we're getting up here, you could take half of what he's getting, and that'd be our temp right now. Uh, the Grizzle Vet, Mike McCurdy. Mike, welcome to another week of wrestling memories. Then and now, how how is the old mobile studio, my friend? The mobile studio is great, man. It's a nice little 88 degrees, you know. So we are heading into the fall, though. So it's going to drop, you know. We go from 88 lows, go down to about you know into the 70s. We might even go into the 60s next week. Got a cold front coming in, so it is. But, been- you know, always a pleasure to be back here for uh, Rascal Memories, and I'm really looking forward to this week's guest. Absolutely. You know, you talk about temps. I mean, it's like 40-something up here, and our guest has even warmer temps uh, than, than Mike. It just reminds me of only two weeks ago, I was sitting in uh, the low 90s in Louisville, Kentucky, uh, sweltering and wondering, oh, man, could I just get a little bit of cool? Well, well, Mother Nature answered uh, my, my, my uh, request in spades, and now I'm uh, back in out of shorts and wearing a hoodie. So I'm in hoodie weather, Mike. So, you know what? It's good good time as any to uh, just sit, sit inside here uh, up here in northwestern Minnesota and talk some wrestling memories. And boy, do we have a, a very, very good guest like you mentioned before. Oh, definitely, man. This is one of those guests. This is kind of like, you know, last year when we had Dr. D. David Schultz. This guest kind of <laughs> brought up my childhood sitting in front of the TV watching the old, you know, NWA programming on a Saturday afternoon. So, you know, it kind of, it kind of brings the fan out in me today. This is one of those times where I love being part of wrestling memories. This is a chance for me to talk about stuff that I remember as a child and growing up and all that. So, you know, like I said, man, I'm excited. This is going to be a good guest. This definitely takes it back for me too. back to summer 1985 up there in northwestern Minnesota, up in Lake Bronson, Minnesota. We call it the nosebleed section of Minnesota. It's so far up there. It, we should, we're almost considered Canada. Uh, it was back in that summer. We finally were introduced our, our neighborhood, our town of uh, just uh, under 200 people to cable television. And I have heard from my friends down the up, down the road in a town with more people how cable was so great you could watch wrestling and all of this and I was watching wrestling through the old rabbit ears from Winnipeg television and something from one of the Fargo markets but I never got the chance to watch the stars that I read about in the wrestling magazines and boy that first morning I turned it on in time to watch World Championship Wrestling Saturday edition on WTBS, and I was hooked. I couldn't wait. Uh, I did all my summer stuff, and I, I counted the time down to 5.05, well, 6.05 to those in the Eastern Time Zone, and I fell in love with the Saturday Night Show. And one of the first wrestlers I got to see on, on that show was uh, one of the, 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 the top heels. He was one of the hated Russians at the time, and a lot of people feared him. He was on his way to getting another shot at the World Championship that Ric Flair held. 
His name was Nikita Koloff. And you know what? It was just this past August, my wife and I, I'm going to bring this in and have a personal note to this. It was just this past uh, August, my wife and I were attending a retirement party for one of my wife's uh, colleagues. And you know, initially you hear of a retirement party, you kind of get on the fence if it's somebody from your wife's work or whatever. You're a little reluctant to go. You don't know who you're, you know, you know a few people, but you don't know everybody. So I decided to take the dive. We went to this restaurant, a very nice restaurant for the retirement party. And the moment I walked into this party that was back in a, in a, in the, in a private area, I'm looking over at this person and I'm seeing and I'm locking in. I'm like, this cannot be. I'm going to a party for a, a fellow psychologist. And I'm looking and I'm just, I felt like, I, I, did I take some medication? What was the deal? Was there a gas leak in the town? I'm looking and he's just, he's chatting and he's just so gregarious. You could just tell that there was, I could feel the warmth from here, from the where I was standing. Uh, you could just tell what a nice guy, but I'm looking, this cannot be. My wife did not give me any clue. I don't know if she was just kayfabing me or she just didn't know or just forgot all together. So I got up, you know, we get time and we, uh, we, we meet up uh, with, with her colleague and he introduces uh, me to oh, my brother-in-law this is Nikita and I'm like yes this is Nikita Koloff I could not believe it the inside my insides were just like who if you could have saw my heart it would have been popping out you know like the cartoon exaggerated heartbeat because I of all places in Thief River Falls Minnesota in August 2019 on a Saturday night at a retirement party where things are usually more kickback you know you know the people I walk into a guy who I followed his professional wrestling career since 1985. He was like one of my heroes. And I'm just like, take it all in, Glenn. Take it all in. Breathe, Glenn. Breathe. And then we sat and we chatted. And I chatted with him and he was just so, so cool. And we'll talk a little bit about what we chatted about. But I could not believe it. And he was so very cool and so gracious. We even took a picture. I didn't even want to ask him to take a photo. But, of course, uh, the host was definitely wanting us to get a picture together. So I, I, I was just uh, knocked over and just amazed that I saw Nikita Koloff. And he was such a grand gentleman. And he's been so kind to come onto the program to not only talk about that and talk about his career and some of the stuff that he's been doing today with his ministries. Nikita, of all people, I, I never thought it would be you I'd be walking into a party and seeing my friend well hey i only hope i can live up to that introduction guys uh <laughs> listen uh, uh first of all thank you comrades for having me on the show chateau Eta. <laughs> and uh, just to bring you back just a little bit further okay um but uh hey uh, you never know right uh uh Small town, northern Minnesota, and who knows, as you said, what could happen. And and we had the opportunity to meet one another, and uh, of course, that's led to this this interview. And just grateful to be with you guys, and so thank you for having me on today. Oh, it is uh, so wonderful that you agreed to, to be a guest on the program. And it was kind of funny when we did have our, our little meet, and, uh, we just we first met. I, you know, usually I, I could have went right into it. The old, uh, you know, when you, you've met many a fan who's talked about your career and has given, been so glowing with some of the stuff that you've done through the years. One of the first things that comes to my mind actually was associated with the town you were in, Thief River Falls, Minnesota, something of which that I read in your book, Nikita, A Tale of the Ring and... And redemption that you put out some a few years back about Thief River Falls, and I was wondering. And I think one of the first things I asked you was, "Do you feel like you're getting a redemption here this time around? You're not, uh, you know, unlike the first time when you were playing football here." 
Yeah, clo- closure. Closure. In fact, uh, my brother-in-law, Mark, uh, first thing I, I flew into Thief River, he picked me up at the airport. First thing we did was we went by the, the little hospital where he was actually retiring from, and he said, that, that's where you would have, that, this is where they would have brought you from the football field, you know, from the college up there over here. And then from there, we went over to the football field. And it's kind of cool because some of the guys were out there with, you know, kind of, I guess, just finishing some practice and some film room stuff. And so I was able to get on the field and, and uh, got down in my three-point stance. My brother-in-law was like, you still got it. You still got it. <laughs> we, we snapped a few photos. And, and this time, uh, 40-something years later, I, I walked off the football field where at that time I was carried off the football field. So closure in Thiefer Falls, Minnesota, to part of my chapter of my life. Absolutely. And you got to celebrate your brother-in-law, you know, retiring from a a long and well-earned career. Now he can enjoy the retirement. Have you guys made any, before we get into the wrestling questions, you guys were talking about plans. Uh, Have you guys done any traveling just yet? Or is this something you're going to work out with your brother-in-law? November 5th, man, that's why if you may or may not recall, but the photos that we took it, you know, with a lot of people were, were in front of the Great Wall of China. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was strategic because November 5th, uh, he and my, my sister Lori and I and my youngest daughter Colby will be boarding a plane for China, headed on a 10-day trip and filling a, a bucket list, the Great Wall of China being one of them. And uh, Shanghai, Beijing, and parts in between. We'll be doing boat rides and train rides and just uh, creating some incredible memories together. Oh, that just sounds like so awesome, and I, I just wish you nothing but fun and great success and just a wonderful trip. But we're going to talk, you know, yeah, it was, uh, were you, when you had your injury, was was that when you were playing with Golden Valley, or was that Moorhead State? Golden Valley Lutheran College, Northland, right? And, uh, yeah, my freshman year, we were only just early into the season when uh, when I suffered a de- devastating injury of, of a fractured my tibia and my fibula, uh, both bones broken in half. My leg looked like the letter Z lying on that football field, literally. And, uh, and they just didn't know what to do. It took them a couple hours to get me off the field. And thankfully, an opposing player's parents had one of those old paneled station wagons. That's what they took me to the hospital in. I waited for the game to end, and then I had a six-hour ride back to uh, northern Minneapolis uh, to check me into the hospital there where I spent 17 days. Pretty serious injury. Mm -hmm. But it's something for which you ended up uh, rehabbing and coming back to because your your, your college football career didn't didn't quite end there. And uh, your college career also kind of was one of those things that connected you with another guy, another guy who lived down where you came from the Robbinsdale area. Uh, We're talking about the Laronitis family. Uh, Could you talk a little bit about uh, your connection with Joe and how you stayed on and and, and made it over and and tried for a chance at the NFL, uh, even after rebounding after such a serious injury? Yeah, I mean, everyone thought, you know, it was career-ending. Even my old high school coach, which ended up being a motivator for me, said, yeah, I heard about your injury. Sorry to hear. No, no, nobody, quote, nobody ever comes back from that. And, man, that just became a driving force for me to say, well, I will show you and everybody else I can come back from this. So I did rehabilitate the leg, played three more years, another year at Golden Valley, graduated, went to Moorhead State University, 
played two more years there, graduated from there with, with a degree. And, 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 and as you said, played on some stellar teams. I mean, that, that first year, my freshman year, that Golden Valley, we were number one in the country for junior college. Senior year, we were number one in the country uh, for division, uh, NAIA Division One and NCAA Division Two, and and then and then we were we were and I played on two other top ten college football teams my sophomore junior year. So definitely had a lot of fun in college. I think we ended up thirty six three and one my college football career. So a lot of fun, and and scouted my senior year by the NFL because that was my driving force too. I was determined um, as a child that I was going to play in the NFL, and in uh, Along that journey, actually while I was at Golden Valley Lutheran College, uh, I recruited a guy by the name of Joe Lornetis out of high school, Irondale High School, to come play. And, and he would later actually quit college and go off into this crazy world of professional wrestling and become road warrior animal. And we have remained friends uh, until this day. That dates back to 1978. And in your book, you talk about uh, just how close that you and not only you and Joe are, but uh, how close you were with the Laurinaitis family. I mean, you were almost basically like the, the next Laurinaitis brother from what it sounded like. I was. I was the product of their, their mom, three boys, you know, James, Mark, and, and uh, uh, excuse me, Joe, Mark, and John. And, and yeah, she just took me in like the prodigal son. And, and, and sometimes I think she treated me better than she treated her own boys, but I was very grateful and thankful for Lorna Laurinaitis. Mm-hmm. We're talking with Nikita Koloff on this edition of Wrestling Memories Then and Now. And uh, Joe got himself, Joe Laurinaitis, found himself in the world of professional wrestling. And you sort of got a little bit of a taste of what he was uh, going through in the early part of his career when you went down and, and moved in with him down in Atlanta. Could you talk about what, what made you decide to make that step and uh, what life was like uh, You know, through your eyes viewing uh, what Joe was doing and, and his roommate at the time, who I believe was Jake the Snake Roberts? It was Jake the Snake Roberts. Uh, yeah, it was. Uh, he, he had asked me a number of times. You know, he knew I was just. I, I graduated college. I was training for a pro football tryout now, rehabilitating, which we didn't talk about. But my senior year at Moorhead, I ended up fracturing my other leg, same tibia fibula, broke it in half uh, in, in a game towards the end of the season, headed into the national playoffs. And, and so. Now I'm rehabilitating that leg, still determined to play in the NFL. He knew I was training. All I basically was doing was training. So he's like, man, come on down here and, and, you know, live with me for a while. So I went down to Atlanta for a couple months, shacked up, you know, at, uh, at his, uh, his pad with him and Jake the Snake Roberts. And when they were in town doing uh, Georgia Championship Wrestling, I would travel to a few of the shows, hang out in the dress rooms and in the back and, you know, just watch what they were doing. I'm like, oh, that's cool, man. I'm happy for them. And, and uh, you know, I, the thought maybe crossed my mind, ah, man, I could do what they're doing, you know, but never entertain the idea of actually getting in wrestling. Um, and then uh, and then went back to, to Minneapolis uh, from there, you know, but a great introduction to the actual business and art of professional wrestling. Uh, those couple months staying with him. 
But what what happened to where you got ended up, you know, tasting a little bit of that while you're still training, trying for the NFL career and, and, and in another case, the USFL? What was it that, that finally, uh, you know, got your interest and got you finally to say, hey, you know what, maybe I want to give this this pro wrestling thing a try. It's working with Joe. He's leading a rather interesting life, having, uh, you know, going playing in front of these big crowds, learning how to work the people. What was it about it that made you finally say, you know, maybe I should give this a try? What, what, what led to this? Well, I guess the expression would be turnabout is fair play, right? So I recruited Joe to our college to play football. I went back to Minneapolis after leaving, you know, living with him in Atlanta for a couple months. I went back to Minneapolis to continue my training. And maybe a month or two back there, I got a random call about 9 a.m. one morning from Joe. And he said, hey, what do you think about wrestling? I said, I think you guys are doing great. He goes, no, what do you think about it? I go, you mean like actually wrestle? He goes, yeah, a couple guys approached me, Don Kernodal and Ivan Koloff. They're looking for, some, they're looking for a, a nephew for Ivan Koloff. You know, I didn't even know who Ivan Koloff or Don Kernodal was, but they were the world tag team champions for the NWA. And I go, well, what's the story? And he told me the story. And so in my mind, I'm like, well, you know, I'm still a ways out from the football tryout. So what, I go, what do I need to do? He goes, call this promoter in Charlotte, Jim Crockett. And here's his number. Give him a call. This is for the days of cell phones. We could snap a picture and send it through the wire. And so I, I called Jim Crockett, had a five-minute, literally a five-minute conversation with him and, and, and made sure and understood. I go, now, Mr. Crockett, you understand, you know, I have no amateur wrestling background zero wrestling professional training, never even hit a ring rope. He goes, yep, that's what they told me. And I said, okay, and you're okay with that. He goes, yep, be in my office with your head shaved on June 4th. And that was a couple months away. And I was just thinking the other day, I just drove by South Boulevard where that old office once was and thought to myself, this is crazy. 35 years ago, I turned that corner right there, walked into an office, introduced myself to a guy who I'd only had a five-minute conversation with but showed up the day he said to be there, introduced myself, and as the old cliche goes, the rest was history. And at that point, did you? where were you even with, with, with training or any a sort of understanding of in-ring stuff uh, when you got that call for Crockett? No understanding. That's the point. No amateur wrestling background, no professional training, just the experience of living with, with Joe for a couple months and going to a handful of their shows. That, that was my experience. So uh, I'm going to bring the, um, the Grizzle Vet uh, Mike McCurdy into the conversation because I know he has plenty of uh, questions involving uh, Ivan Koloff and, of course, uh, Don Carnoodle, the guys that were instrumental in, in bringing you in as uh, the nephew, Nikita Koloff. Uh, so, Grizzle Veteran, you uh, have the floor now with our guest on this edition of Wrestling Memories Then and Now, Nikita Koloff. All right, I appreciate it. Um <clears throat> Now, they brought you in, you know, we were introduced to you at that time as, you know, Ivan Koloff's nephew, Nikita. You did very short matches at that point in time. I mean, they were basically, you would walk in, destroy whoever was in the ring. That was due to, you didn't have very, you had very limited training, correct? That would be correct. It was very strategic on Jim Crockett's part. In fact, the day I walked in his office, they, they literally put me on the set. They go, okay, you don't speak any English, you know, blah, blah. And they started, I just stand there, shirt off, chains around your neck, look mean. I'm like, okay, I can do that. And I'm going to get paid for this. Okay. 
And then he said, be in Raleigh tomorrow night. You're going to wrestle on television, having never been in a ring. So my very first match was about 11, was really 11 seconds long, uh, the, the, my first win in professional wrestling. And for the next couple months, yes, I'd have short matches. One guy, sometimes handicap matches, where I was just destroying two guys at, in, in, in the same match. And Ivan, Uncle Ivan would sit in my corner, I would sit in their corner uh, as the World Tag Champions, watch their match. Ivan would watch my match. They would, we would get to the towns uh, two, three hours early, and Don and Ivan would bump all over the ring, teaching me, really on-the-job training, right, teaching me the mechanics of wrestling. I'd go in the ring that night and try to do a few things, and then on the drive home each night, we'd talk about the old-school psychology of wrestling and that was my training. That's an amazing training right there. Um, when you came in, though, you, you really got involved with the character. Because as the story goes, you were not just Nikita Koloff in the ring, but you were Nikita Koloff out of the ring, and you actually learned to speak Russian at that time, well, I correct? Put a, I put a few I, – I got a – some of your listeners may not even know what a cassette tape is, but um, I got – got a Russian cassette tape, a Russian workbook, and I started listening to words, you know, a few phrases, you know, Diadia, uncle, pajalosta, please, dasvadanya, goodbye, uh, you know, spokonanocha, good night. So I, I just put a few words together and then put some phrases together that the average American, stupid American, would never figure out, which they didn't. Uh, and uh, it, to get the character over... And, and and didn't speak anywhere, uh, anywhere other than in the car I drove and a little bit in the dressing room, like we're talking right now with such proper English. Um, and, and just because in my mind, I thought, if I'm going to really get this over, make it happen, this is what I got to do. And, and not only that, I mean, I, I look back on it, I mean, it's like, Okay, that's crazy. I, I didn't know it at the time. I, you know, I didn't. I didn't go to acting school. I didn't go to acting class. I, in high school, I, I, I loathed. I skipped class if I had to talk in front of a class, and I, I did what I learned was called method acting, where where you project yourself literally into that character. And then I lived it twenty four seven for, actually, believe it or not, three years after I left wrestling, I still talked with that accent and carried on the persona. Now, how was it? I mean, you're just getting into wrestling. You've never done this before. And you've gone from, you know, you know, college football, when to go to the NFL, and now you're playing an evil Russian. You know, how was the transition for that? And what was it like, you know, those first, you know, few months going in the ring and all that, and you weren't you, you were Nikita Koloff. You were the evil Russian. You were the Russian nightmare. Well, again, projecting myself in it, I didn't have to talk to anybody, basically, so that made it uh, relatively easy in the transition uh, until I kind of, in my mind, figured out, if okay, if I, once we decide, okay, it's time for you to start talking. I mean, anyone who went back who had old videos would, would go, fans will tell me now, so we used to record your show, we used to record you, and, and go back and forth trying to figure out what it was you, you were saying because I did such a heavy accent and such broken English and tried to think if I really was from there, 
what would this word sound like? What would that word sound like? And so, you know, really just to get, again, to get the character over and then over time, of course, you know, cause I, my English has to improve the longer I'm in America. Uh, and, and just, you know, the accent became less and less and less to until I, you know, finally one day just faced it out altogether. What was it like, you know, you go in there, you're working with Ivan Koloff. Obviously, Ivan is a legend at that time. I mean, you know, he incited a riot when he won the WWF title, you know, back in the 70s. But I've had a chance to interview Ivan on two different occasions and very gracious man and always, you know, open to talk about his career and all that. But what was it like getting to work with, you know, Ivan Koloff? Because one, you didn't even know really who he was, but, you know, on a personal level, how was uh, working with Ivan? No, I mean, it was him and Don both. I mean, you know, my hat's off to the two of them guys, you know, for for early on teaching me the basics of, of pro wrestling and, and old school psychology. And it was great working with the both of them and, you know, escalating the career, catapulting the career rather quickly because of them. And then, uh, you know, and then some of the other guys that would eventually come in that, that kind of helped me along the way as well, right? Dusty Rhodes and... And Ric Flair and Rick Steamboat and Johnny Weaver, a legendary in the Mid-Atlantic. And some of the legendary guys in Mid-Atlantic that others like you guys, you know, or you, you, know, you wouldn't have known about Northern Minnesota than maybe seen it in a magazine. But, um, you know, some of these guys down here, Rufus R. Freight Train Jones. I mean, just some of the guys that, that early on, you know, put me over to help build my story and build the character, uh, Dory Funk. Junior, I mean, matches with Dory and what a ring tactician he was and what he taught me. And so I was in the ring with some of the, the greatest greats of the greats uh, that I learned from that first year in wrestling. Now, you, you escalated up the ladder pretty quickly when you came in. Obviously, you know, you're with Ivan and Don, but, you know, you had a chance to wrestle against Ric Flair for the NWA title. You know, obviously, Ric Flair at that time was one of the, you know, top guys. On What was it like getting a chance to work in the ring, you know, with Ric Flair? Really kind of uh, looking back on it, surreal in this sense. I go from day one knowing nothing about wrestling. Fast forward 13 months later, only 13 months, and I'm already the world tag team champion, world six-man champion, and now I'm, I'm, I'm headlining – Main event, first ever Great American Bash, 25, 30-something thousand people, and I'm the headliner. And, and wrestling a, a guy who has built an incredible career for himself. And so really somewhat surreal looking back. I mean, the guy flies in on a helicopter for the match. I mean, are you kidding me? I mean, it was pretty surreal. Now, another an- another opponent you had and. This is kind of what I've been looking forward to talking about is as, you know, time goes on, you got involved in a best of seven series with Magnum TA. Magnum TA obviously was basically everybody considered by everybody. He was going to be the next, you know, NWA world heavyweight champion. You got a chance to work with him, you know, best seven series. It ends in a draw three, three with a, uh, you know, with the, with the draw at the end. What was it like working with Magnum TA and then, you know, the best seven series, still people remember that to this day. And then, you know, going on after the accident, you know, you were still very well involved with Magnum TA. 
Number one, talk about match. Every time I'm out doing autograph signings or at wrestling events, uh, best of seven series against Magnum. And, and the, the, the realism of those matches. He was a very uh, uh, snug wrestler. He worked very snug. I wrestled very snug. We we're both in agreement, uh, you know, for the realism of, of the matches themselves. Well, had great chemistry with each other. He had the look, right? He was definitely being groomed for the next world champion. He had the whole package, you know, had the look good, all American boy and, and, and favorite, etc. cetera. And, um, and so to, to, to go into that angle and, and the way we told the story, being stripped of the title and then me going up one nothing, two nothing, three nothing, him fighting, clawing his way back to three, culminating the seventh match. Uh, once again, in Charlotte, uh, I had a lot of historical matches, events happen in Charlotte. And, and then the, the U.S. title, which is the last thing people ever expected at Russia to do, um, just really put, put that whole angle, that whole idea on the map that people all these years later, like yourself, still talk about. And, and that said, a great you know, respect for him in the ring and it was a real honor professional level. We weren't necessarily outside the ring. Uh, in those days, you know, we, we kept it pretty dry for the most part, at least I did, separated myself from the good guys. And then uh, he has the accident. I didn't know about it. I came back from a two-week tour in Japan. They told, Dusty and Jimmy told me about it. Uh, I remember I was in Philadelphia. I really didn't believe him at first because, you know, wrestling, right, it's work, right? And I'm like, ah, you guys are working me. And then they finally came an idea and introduced the idea of, of the superpowers. And they thought it would – they felt like it would get over. And then uh, from the accident, though, Terry and I developed a, a great friendship. To this day, we talk frequently, and sometimes we'll do autograph signings together uh, because of the best of seven U.S. belts. How was it that night, that moment? Because, like I said, you know, Magnum has the, the car accident. I mean, and very devastating at that time. You are still technically the evil Russian. You come out to team with Dusty Rhodes that night. I've seen the match. The audience just, it popped. They blew the roof off that building when you came out. What was it like that night coming out? Now you're the favorite. You know, everybody loves you, and now you're going to be partnering with Dusty Rhodes as part of the superpowers. But that specific night when you came out as Dusty's partner, what was kind of the feeling that night? What was the, how was the electricity in the room? You know, how were you feeling when you walked out to the ring? So just give a little backstory on that. So they told me about three weeks prior, uh, once we agreed to, to make the switch, it was going to be Dusty and a mystery partner. So you couldn't do this today. We, we, Jimmy knew, Dusty knew, I knew. I mean, I didn't tell, I we all agreed we were telling anybody. We were going to keep this as quiet as possible. For the next three weeks, I continued to, to, to you know, wrestle and destroy guys as the, you know, the, from the evil empire of Russia. The plan that night was show up at the building an hour after the matches start. I don't even want – Jimmy's like, I don't even want people to see you come in, have a towel on your head, the good guy dressing room, and which, in, you know, back in those days, a lot of the dressing rooms – Opposite the building and separate. And so I walk in and, and, you know, everyone's like, what the heck are you doing in here? Kind of thing. And, 
And then Jimmy walks in and, and gives me a, a hug and embraces me. And, and everyone's kind of, it's an aha moment for everybody. He's the mystery partner. Oh, my gosh. And then the way we built it for the fans, Dusty goes out through the curtain. I, I, I delay 30, 45 seconds. So they still don't know who the mystery partner is. This music's playing. Finally walked through the curtain. And, and guys, you could have, the music's playing, but that's all you heard. I mean, a hush little bit came over the building. You could have heard a pin drop, even with the music playing. I mean, they didn't know what to think. Ole and, and JJ are already in the ring. He gets in the ring. I come to the ring. I pause strategically, stepping over the barrier. He's already in the ring. They already jump and attack him. I climb the steel cage. I climb the do- in, to the door. I pause again, just looking at the crowd. They still don't know what's going to happen. I step through the ropes. Ole walks towards me. And to your point, when I tore into Ole, the, really the, the roof did come off the building and, and, and to go from being the most, one of the most hated by fans at one point, the most hated to becoming a fan favorite. Again, I have to use that same word. It was pretty surreal that night standing in the ring and for 15 minutes, people chanting my name and guys taking their shirts off and doing my most muscular flex was pretty darn surreal. All right, Glenn, I'm going to pass the microphone back on to you for the uh, next round of questions. All right, uh, back in here on Wrestling Memories then and now. And, of course, uh, that led to uh, a major, major wave of popularity for you, uh, Nikita Koloff. Uh, yeah, being the partner of Dusty Rhodes, forming the superpowers, which led you to uh, win the second uh, Jim Crockett Senior Memorial Cup tournament. You were holding on to the U.S. title. But something that developed over that summer that uh, gained in legend was a new concept uh, that you were and uh, Dusty and the Road Warriors and the Four Horsemen were involved with of Sort of a way to uh, really uh, take full advantage of, of, of the feud the horsemen had with various members uh, with you guys was the, the war games, the match beyond. What do you, can you remember of uh, first hearing about the idea of the war game setup with the cage, with the with the top on it, the teams, the submission concept? Uh, what was your when did you first hear about it, and what was your initial attitude towards the the war games? Because this was getting into some different territory here in the mid to nineteen eighties in regards to pro wrestling. This wasn't just your normal climb out of the cage or walk through the door. Dusty Rhodes, one of the most ingenious guys, creative minds in the world of professional wrestling. And, and nothing but respect for Dusty. It was the next couple of years we did sellout business everywhere we went at the superpowers and or an eight-man matches with the Road Warriors. And, and got to know him in a very personal way. Him and I, a lot of times, would just travel the two of us to towns and, and really, you know, just fell in love with the man, really love him for who he was. And, you know, behind the scenes, a lot of, he didn't let a lot of people get close to him. So a lot of people don't really know the whole story, but I feel fortunate to have had that time with him. And, and then the idea of the war games, Mike brought it up earlier, you know, the, the electricity and I mean, the night we turned and became the superpowers. But I recall the, uh, in the match beyond that very first one. Now, the other ones, I'm not going to say they weren't good and electrifying and all that, but that very first one that had never been done before, the anticipation of the fans not knowing what to expect, ingenious idea of alternating guys back and forth, 
So it's two on one, two on two, three on two, three on, you know, and, and the, the, and the, the, the bad guys always have the upper hand uh, up until all five were in the ring was just a genius. And, and that, and so electrifying in there and, and so grateful to be a, a part of that match. And, you know, when I first heard about it, I thought, you know, brilliant. I just thought, this, this is brilliant. Nobody knew what to expect because we had never done it before. But after the fact, when the match, I don't think the people sat down the whole entire 25, 30 minutes or however long it lasted. Um, and, and so nothing but in, just incredible memories about that, that match beyond. Mm-hmm. And it definitely, it spun off feuds as well. Uh, a guy for which uh, you, you, you are still in, very much in contact with, but you definitely got your first real taste of in-ring work with was, was Lex Luger. Now this kind of led to a, a long-term relationship, but what can you remember, uh, you know, first crossing paths with Lex uh, and, and dealing with Lex Luger in those younger days when, when Lex was just really still learning in the business, but was so, so popular and was in such a position with, with, with the fans and in the NWA. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just a, a, a specimen of an athlete, right? Nobody. I mean, I, I kept myself in shape and felt, you know, trying to keep good. But man, he took it to another level. And so, you know, fortune. I feel fortunate to be the one to not necessarily put him on the map. He already was building a name for himself, but to drop, you know, the U.S. title to him there in, in the cage in Greensboro, that you know, as part of his introduction and help launch his career, you know, to what it became, you know, I feel fortunate that I had that opportunity. And, and as you said, that has gone on to, to become, and there's more to that story as far as it becoming a, a lifelong friendship and relationship. Uh, hopefully I have a few minutes at the end to talk about that, but uh, yeah, all yeah, great memories of working with Lex. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. And you also, you know, in the late nineteen eighties, uh, wrestling was starting to really change. Uh, you know, with uh, the, the the smaller uh, territories getting uh, bought out uh, by either by Vince McMahon or even with Jim Crockett and Jim Crockett Promotions uh, merging merging with Bill Watts's Universal Wrestling Federation. Uh, you had some time to work uh, both with uh, Bill in Bill Watts's uh, UWF and NWA as they were merging. Uh, what can you? What how would you compare, say, uh, Bill Watts to what Dusty Rhodes was doing? And really, uh, it sort of, uh, you know, started changing. All this consolidation really was sort of the beginning of the end of uh, what was left of the territories. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and uh, Ivan and I would go you know, and a handful of times to do some some TV shows for for Bill. Just Crockett was at the time, you know, working together as he did, even working with the AWA. I mean, I did some matches against Larry Zabisco as the AWA heavyweight champion for their TV uh, just uh, because Crockett was, you know, was working with some of these other promoters. And, and so, you know, Bill, again, had a great mind for the business and, you know, down there, I, of course, what hurt, you know, Bill was when Ted DiBiase I saw Jim Ben and Junkyard Dog and those guys, you know, started you know, leaving his territory for the WWF at the time. And, of course, he got less and less and less talent, and, you know, just drew smaller and smaller and smaller crowds, which eventually what led to Crockett uh, taking over the UWF. Mm-hmm. And uh, soon after, you ended up taking a break from, from the world of professional wrestling. Uh, uh, for a while, you had gotten married uh, you, for you know, other personal reasons. You, you, you took a step away from the ring. I did. My wife, Mandy, 
at age 24, uh, they, they found Hodgkin's cancer in her body and, and it got it into remission first time around, came back with a vengeance. And, and what it, and it came, and so when it came back, that's when I made the decision, talked to the ivory tower, Jim Hurd and, and those, the powers to be that I would be taking a sabbatical, a leave of absence to take care of her, which honestly, I, I they, they kind of frowned on, um, they, uh, that's just my perspective on it. Um, you know, I wasn't making wrestling the number one priority, but you know, I had a wife dying of cancer who, and she eventually did pass. Um, I, I eventually did go back, but it was never the same. It was never the same that they didn't, I didn't feel they treated me the same. I didn't feel, you know, they, they, for whatever reason, just, uh, my, the matches and th- angles and things they they throw. In fact, there weren't even some angles. They would just throw me in matches and didn't make any sense at all. And so it was just different. It was different. And you know, you wrestled. You came back from wrestled for a few years, and eventually uh, you retired in the early nineteen nineties. But uh, as your one career ended, uh, a new big chapter that still is keeps getting this book just keeps getting added to your life. These chapters, you had a new new phase in your life, and I want to talk about uh, that. I'm going to give a good amount of time to it too uh, here in this interview about life outside of the ring and and finding this calling. Uh, tell us how it all all came about, and and, and tell we're going to learn. About about some of the great things that have developed uh, from that point since you retired. Yeah, I, pr- I appreciate it. Yeah, it was an interesting transition uh, for me. I, you know, I, I walked, again, I walked away under my own terms. I was injured in my last match against Big Van Vader, injured my neck. He, you know, he had a bit of a reputation of being reckless and, and did hurt my neck, clothesline me, you know, out on the floor fighting and, and uh, it pinched a nerve and did something to my neck. And then I, I didn't know until the next day I had a, I had a hernia, you know, a 500 pound guy. So I got, I, so I ended up having to have hernia surgery and I was rehabilitating my neck. And in my mind, I thought, this is over Thanksgiving, Christmas. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to be 34. My goal when I broke in, I told Ivan and Donna's from day one, I'd be out of active wrestling in the ring by the time I was 35. And so I thought, you know, why go back for a handful of months? I'm, I'm done. And so I just walked away into my own terms. And, and so now my wrestling career is behind me at the end of 92, beginning of 93. And in my mind, I'm like, okay, what's life hold now for Nikita Koloff? I mean, what's next? I'd open up some health clubs in the Carolinas. And I, I'm like, that's not it. Got to be more. And, and I mean, I was successful. I had fame, you know, from the wrestling world, traveling around the world and, and winning titles and belts and, the, you know, some of the most popular guys in wrestling. But I just sense, I'm like, man, this, this, there's got to be more to life than this. I mean, I was successful, but I was unfulfilled. There was no fulfillment. Uh, and, and I'm like, man, there's got to be more. And so during that year, I met, you know, I met a Christian couple, uh, invited me to church. I, I didn't grow up in church, just like I didn't grow up in Russia. I hope that doesn't uh, probably burst somebody's bubble right there. Sorry, Mike. <laughs> I didn't grow up in Russia. Um, uh, and... Uh, but I didn't grow up in church either. So, so this couple invites me to church, and, and, and in October 1993, you know, I call them one day. I say, hey, I'll be there Sunday. And, and that was, uh, uh, boy, it was just a day of redemption for me. It was, it was a day that, that I'll forever remember and set me on a whole different projection, projective, whole different path 
because uh, that day, 17 October, it's coming up. It's coming up. My, my, my special birthday is coming up that I found myself at an altar surrendering my life to Jesus Christ because I, I, I'd never done that before. I, I heard the stories. I knew the stories of Jesus, but it never made the 18-inch trip from my head down to my heart. And on that day, it did. And I encountered him at the altar. Life's never been the same. The last 25 years uh, now have been uh, amazing. I mean, I've now been to 28 different countries. I've preached and ministered um, in about in approximately 1,200 different churches. I spoke to audiences of one and the largest audience to date uh, that actually had Lex Luger with me in Jamaica speaking and sharing my testimony, my story to over 73,000. Wow, that is impressive. Uh, you're uh, Koloff for Christ Ministries. When was this officially formed? Uh, and uh, you talked about Lex Luger. Has there been other wrestlers kind of combining in with this uh, outreach with, with, with religion? Yes, and I didn't jump right into things right away. I mean, I went through what I would call a discipleship process about the first five years. And then 1998, doors just swung wide open for me to go. And like, I'll, I'll do a men's breakfast tomorrow morning, and then I'll I'll head off to Kentucky to do a, to preach a four day revival in Kentucky, and then uh, Lex and I will come back. Lex will come down from Buffalo, New York, and he and I earlier this year launched a men's ministry called Man Camp. Um, we'll, I'll make sure you guys have the website for that, and we bring small groups of men together. Uh, take five days, and he and I just co facilitate and pour into these men uh, at the Man Camp, and, and as well as I do one day conferences called Man Up. Time to man up, just calling men to be real, to be real men. And, and so Cold Offer Christ Ministries was officially formed in 2002. But interestingly enough, it wasn't until earlier this year that I went ahead and got a 501c3 nonprofit status for it. So I'm super excited about that. And, and now I have a, a vision for, from 2020 to 2025, I have a vision to travel to 20 different countries uh, to do, you know, ministry and going to be petitioning people to come alongside the vision and partner with me, you know, hopefully uh, through prayer and, and, and financially and, and, uh, and support what I'm going to do on a global basis. So super excited about that. Oh, I, and, oh and let me say this. Yeah, I'm sorry, just real quick. So you asked about some of the other wrestlers. So, my partner, Ivan Koloff, I was fortunate to invite, actually invite him to a revival back in 1995 that he came to and whose life, I mean, this guy's testimony, guys, was incredible. I mean, he went from, you asked me what was it like traveling with Ivan Koloff, but some people know his story, but I mean, he was addicted to drugs, addicted to alcohol. He cussed like a sailor. I mean, you know, he ran around. He did, he did all the things, you know, that, that, that guys sometimes do. But the night he came to the altar, gave his life to the Lord, from that night forward, he was completely set free of drug addiction, tobacco addiction, alcohol, never that, that I know of, cussed another day in his life and, and was faithful to his wife and uh, incredible transformation. Um, Road Warrior Hawk, before he passed, invited him and Animal to a, a Christian athletes conference in Phoenix. Jensen Franklin was preaching. Hawk was the first one to the altar. We baptized them guys in, in the pool there that weekend. And I brought Hawk on the road with me for a year and a half prior to his passing to share his story, which was phenomenal. Um, Sting, I had an opportunity to, to disciple and mentor Sting for five years. And then Lex, 
2006, you know, when he gave his life to the Lord and now we're, we're partners in ministry. And so a number of guys have had the privilege of, of, of sharing my story and some, in some way, hopefully having an influence on their decision to give their life to Jesus. And another gentleman uh, you, you didn't mention uh, was uh, Ted DiBiase, who was in your book as well. We, we've done ministry together over the years, uh, as well as Tully Blanchard, who Tully's probably ministered now in over 2,000 prisons. Um, and, and, and so Tully's been, been in, in full-time ministry on and off over the years. And again, another phenomenal story of, of a life change. And so, yeah, and, and, and guys, here's, because you might ask or somebody might think, why? why? All these guys were famous. Some of them made, you know, millions of dollars. Why now? Why, I mean, why are they giving their life to Jesus? Well, I can tell you this. It's called the empty chase. And, and on that day that I found myself at an altar, I went from being unfulfilled to all of a sudden being filled and experiencing fulfillment and, and real purpose for my life. And so all these guys realize that all the glamour, fame, fortune, success, uh, you know, they've realized without a personal relationship with Jesus, it left them empty. And, and that's the only thing that, that filled the emptiness. And so there you go. Mm-hmm. I'm going to bring Mike back in for uh, a question or two uh, to, before we wrap up today. Mike, do you have any, que- any further questions for our guest today, Nikita Koloff? Yes, I do. Um, one I'd like to ask is, uh, you know, you're mentioning you partner with Lex Luger now in the ministries. <clears throat> and I'm just wondering, how is Lex doing uh, today? Because, you know, unfortunately he had a few bad situations in his past. And then, of course, you know, the, the stroke that he had in San Francisco, which kind of, you know, changed, you know, kind of how he looks. He's not as, you know, but how is Lex doing and, you know, with your friendship with him? Yeah, you know, great question. Let me clarify. It wasn't a stroke. You know, they, didn't, they honestly didn't know what to call it. Uh, it, it ended up terming, it's just a spinal cord injury, okay, that left them paralyzed from the neck down, you know, similar to the early prognosis of Magnum TA in the car wreck when he broke his neck. He was supposed to be a quad, a quadriplegic the rest of his life, being lifted out of a bed, fed, his, his butt being wiped and, you know, shaved, the whole deal. Same with Lex. So he's a walking miracle. Both him and Magnum are very, give all glory to God for where they're at currently compared to where they could have been, right? So they just are, you know, just the miracle of God. And, and yeah, Lex lost all the weight. You know, he's, he's in a wheelchair most of the time, although he can walk and drive a car and, and still function on his own, feed himself and everything else. Um, he feels very, again, very fortunate, even though he had the spinal cord injury, he left him where he was, but to be where he's at today. And he's doing phenomenal, guys. At the age of 61, he's on zero medications, even with all those injuries, no pain meds, nothing. And, and up there in Buffalo, he's engaged in a couple of Bible studies. He's certified to counsel people going through drug addictions and, and all kinds, because he's been there. You guys are right. He, he had the drug addiction. He was steeped in alcohol, and his life was a train wreck behind the scenes. But April 23rd, 2006, when a jail chaplain led him to the Lord, everything changed for him. Anyone who knew him as the total package who meets him now will not or cannot deny he is a changed man. He's doing great. Thanks for asking, Mike. 
Uh, one other thing I'd like to ask about, and this is kind of funny. This is how my, you know, my wife, she watched wrestling back then. She's, you know, about 14 years younger than me. So she was, you know, doesn't, doesn't know about Nikita Koloff. But one day, I think about 2013, she loves the reality shows. She loves the Lifetime shows. I think you know where I'm going. And I she's do. watching this show. And I happen to look up and I'm like, what are you watching? And she's like, oh, it's preacher's daughters. They're daughters of, and their parents are ministers and all that. And I'm looking at it and she's like, why? I'm like, that's Nikita Koloff. She goes, who's Nikita Koloff? I'm like, he's a professional wrestler. He was the, you know, Russian nightmare. She's like looking at me. I'm like, that's Nikita Koloff. And you were part of this show called Preacher's Daughters. How did that come about? And did that kind of open up you to a different audience that may not have, obviously may not have known, like my wife, that you were a professional wrestler? Yeah. Yes. Well, two, two things. I need to say this. But I need to make sure to say this before you go. Crazy things happen in pro wrestling, right? All, all kinds of crazy things. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm going to say this, and we'll, we'll kind of leave. So just keep in mind that because of the crazy things that happen in pro wrestling and what's happening in today's wrestling world, and, and even the fact that I walked away, you, you never know. You, uh, you never know when Uncle Nikita may pop up on the scene. Uh, you, you never know when Uncle Nikita may pop All right, let's just leave that right there for now, and, and let me address the question. I'll let you guys kind of marinate on that one. Um, and, and the question about Preacher's Daughters, uh, their mother submitted a, a picture of Colby, my youngest daughter, Colby. I have four girls, Colby, Kendra, Tawny, and Taryn, and, and submitted a picture. Uh, Lifetime TV kind of was intrigued by her. Phone calls, Skype calls, in, interviews with all of us. Out of about 1,200 families, they decided, you're one of the three that we're going to choose and, and highlight Colby's life. All the family was on the show. I had nothing to do with me being a wrestler. And yes, it definitely opened up a whole new audience of people, all basically young girls who had no clue who I was, although maybe their parents did, or like yourself, you did, but had no clue. They're like, hey, he's the preacher guy. Like when I meet little young girls now, you're the preacher guy. And the parent goes, no, he's a wrestler guy. They go, no, he's the preacher guy. No, he, <laughs> right? And, and so a whole different audience give me the opportunity. And, and on that note, too, though, uh, what's, what's phenomenal about that is in giving me another audience uh, is a, another generation of potential influence from that show. And Kobe did outstanding. She was a seller on the show, and, and that's opened up a whole other world of, of Christian music for her and songwriting and travel and speaking and 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 influence on social media and so that's how that happened they they lifetime tv fell in love with with colby and so i had nothing to do with that guys now before i pass the mic over to glenn i'm, I'm going to ask you one thing <clears throat> and, I, and i'm hoping you'll uh, you know indulge in this with us can we get a little little bit of the speech from you know nikita for just a moment <laughs> kind of give the listeners a little memory of what they grew up on Oh my! Come on now, comrade. What exactly are you wanting to do it? What? What? My daughter, Mike. What do you want? Do you want me to Russian sickle you? Is that what you want? Put the Russian sickle on you. What do you want, Mike? 
Glenn, I'm going to pass the microphone back over to you, my friend. <laughs> I, I would just love to see the Russian sickle on you, Mike. I'm sorry, man. The Kino's, I mean, it's it's the Russian nightmare for God. For, oh, man. I'm old. And I'm old. I'm brittle. Oh, come on now. <laughs> Grizzled, yes, but not brittle. Come on. That's good. I like that. I like that. Oh God, it's been so much fun chatting. Uh, before we say uh, uh, formally say goodbye, uh, you have some stuff you uh, you want to plug before we go. Uh, some contact stuff for, for the listeners out there today. Hey fans. Hey folks. Keep your eyes and ears open. Like I said, stranger things have happened in pro wrestling. You never know what might happen in the world with the Koloffs. Uh, on that note, yes. So my personal website is just NikitaKoloff.com. You can go and, and, and read about and learn more about me there. Um, books that are available, of course, the Tale of the Ring Redemption, I remade re- reference of that, uh, Wrestling with Success, Breaking the Chain. So there are some books out there. I'm working on a fourth book currently right now. Um, the Man Camp with Lex and I, mancamp.info. That is the way of your man, 18 years or older, you like to come spend a few days with Lex and I in the beautiful state of North Carolina. Then, then uh, we still got October 20th. We kick off our next one, and we still got a couple spots available. Uh, I know it's short notice, but I got guys coming in from about uh, nine or ten different states uh, for for this uh, experience at Man Camp. Mancamp dot info. I do have a Facebook presence. Uh, I have somebody that oversees that for me, but daily I am usually on Instagram and Twitter. Nikita Koloff with the number one behind it. That's the real me. And you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter. I'm usually putting up a a positive poster each day. I I consider myself to be a real encourager. And so I try to put that uh, some positive post up every day. Uh, Glenn, Mike, you guys have been awesome. Thank you guys so much for this opportunity to to just share a little bit of my story with all your listeners today. Oh, it was a pleasure, my friend. And, you know, your element of surprise I believe in after uh, I ran into you in August. Uh, you never know where Nikita will be. <laughs> That's right. That's exactly right. You never know. I may pop up and see River Falls at a retirement party. You don't know. You never know. <laughs> For uh, the grizzled vet Mike McCurdy and the Russian nightmare Nikita Koloff, I'm Glenn Braggett. This has been Wrestling Memories Then and Now.